The following program contains irreverent humor, brilliant insights, and story elements from television or film that may give away important details. We got spoilers, or as they say in Klingon, Gumaka. Don't say we didn't warn you. One of the things we love about Star Trek is how the characters break all the rules in order to save the universe. Even though everything blows up, they still manage somehow to come out on top. But in Star Trek Discovery, shit has hit the deflector shield thanks to the recklessness of First Officer Michael Burnham, who tried to do the right thing but managed to let her emotions get the best of her, giving the Klingons the motivation to unite the Empire and go to war with the Federation. In the latest episode, Context is for Kings, Burnham is on her way to space prison when she's suddenly intercepted by the starship Discovery. Aboard the mysterious new ship, she's asked to stay and find a way to end the war she started. Burnham, clean up this mess! On board the Discovery, we find a mysterious menagerie of science experiments and characters with special needs and a gay guy obsessed with panspermia as a way to travel through time and space. Welcome to What the Trek, a podcast where we fabulously explore the strange new episodes from the TV series Star Trek Discovery. I'm your ship's sexy captain, Fausto Fernos, who, for the record, only sleeps with consenting intelligent organisms. They made first contact, not me. Please welcome Mark Felian, who I'm not sure if you're the first officer, a lieutenant, or just Mexican, because you're always doing the work nobody else wants to do. Aye, Captain. Uh, please welcome Brian Sweeney, the ship's hyper-realistic android that looks exactly like the guy who built him, and probably is just that guy masquerading as an android since he's not a very good scientist to begin with. Hello, I fuck spores. <laughs> and Colette Gregory, the ship's life coach, who keeps wanting to quit the show but stays on because she's been told by various civil rights leaders that it's good for the cause. Hi there, or as everyone says when I come into the club, black alert! (laughs) (laughs) Black alert indeed. Water's falling everywhere. (laughs) Everything's wet and moist when it's black (laughs) alert. (laughs) So hospitals, when they get crowded... In, in real life on Earth here, uh, they can't guarantee life-saving emergency care, and new patients have to be transported elsewhere. But in Star Trek Discovery, black alert is when uh, Michael Burnham is on the ship and they have a black woman. Is that what it is? <laughs> I think so. I mean, they haven't really clarified it. It has something to do with water and shaking, so orgasm maybe? Mm-hmm. What is it exactly? It's squirting, too, right? Yeah, it's dew drops. Yeah. Coming from the moisture. In the bedroom, right? Because we've only yeah, seen Yeah, moisture it. in the yeah. bedroom. Yeah. When you squirt, come all over. <laughs> it's, it's just shooting ropes. I think it's when they do their little experiment with like the, the the spores, right? And they're traveling somewhere in through space. And I don't know what it does to water in the atmosphere, but it just kind of makes it well, dribble. Like, Sylvia Tilly was scared as hell. About black alerts, she was like shaking in her bed. It seemed like she or was angry. Scared. She was angry or she scared. She was scared. She was scared. It seemed scared. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They introduced a bunch of new characters and a bunch of new ideas in the third episode of Star Trek Discovery. Let's talk about the ideas of the characters first. Let's do the we're, characters so we know when we're talking okay. about who they are. Cadet Sylvia Tilly, who's the red shirt. I'm sorry, red hair. And I was hoping that she would get killed immediately. <laughs> were you a little annoyed by her? And I was like, oh my god, Lieutenant Barkley Part Two. <laughs> Definitely. She is so Lieutenant Barkley. She stammers. She does like she's not good with people. She's yeah, she's why like you need a counselor, I guess, to help feelings and bone people on the holodeck. And call it you discovered an article online by the with the Mary Jane, is it? The the Sue Mary, the Mary Sue's or uh, something like that, that talking yeah. about how uh, this character may be on the spectrum. Yeah, so there's been some uh, conjecture online of whether or not she is on the spectrum. So uh, this article came out. There's also a couple people have YouTube videos and some and explain the spectrum for people that might not be familiar. 
familiar with the concept. Because you're, you're a life coach and social worker, <laughs> social media expert. All of the above, yeah. mm-hmm. yes. So uh, the spectrum is, of course, the autistic spectrum. And uh, there's about three criteria that you can look at to diagnose someone with that. Um, the first would be deficits in social, emotional reciprocity. So that's basically people um, who are bad at social interactions, uh, recognizing emotions, talking about interests, doing small talk, things like that. Uh, the other is deficits in nonverbal communicative behaviors. So uh, that is like facial expression, so making eye contact, people who just don't pick up those nonverbal cues when you are interacting with people. Mm. And then the last one is deficits in developing, maintaining, and understanding relationships. So people have a hard time making friends, uh, understanding their interests of peers, things like that. Mm. And so we got a lot of moments where uh, Michael Burnham and uh, Sylvia Tilly are sharing a, a room together and it's a lot of, oh no, she did it moments like she's like oh it would be so horrible if you were Michael Burnham and I have to you know Michael what is, and I don't like the name Michael. Can I just call you Mickey? I'll just which call you Mickey. Which I was like, oh, what is this white girl being like? I can't pronounce your name. Let me change it to something else. I was like, I see you. She's, I see you, Becky. She, she's mm-hmm. a Michael's not very feminine. How about Mickey? That more suits you. I'll call you Mickey. And she goes, No, you won't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, when she introduces herself, she uh, explains that she has quote unquote special needs. Um, she also is but, very okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. That is then followed up with. Mm-hmm. Because she's allergic to certain sheets and pillows. Yes, it has, So she says special needs, and I feel like maybe they were trying to make a joke so that we think that that's what they're saying. But then, but she's then like she says, and, something, and I snore. Yeah, right? she says, mm-hmm. and that she has like narrow sinuses, so she it makes her, her snore. Even though it's a 23rd century, but whatever. Yeah, they yeah just so like, in this article by the Mary Sue, uh, they were, I know, I use the word article very loosely. Um, in this glorified yeah. blob co- blog post. Blob. <laughs> this glorified blog. Blog vomit. <laughs> You're really going after it. Brian said it was the most Sue. internet thing he'd ever read yeah, in a long time. Yeah, it's like... Star Trek Discovery introduces an autistic care, and I am so here for it. <laughs> <laughs> so in this article, again, I use that term loosely, yes, uh, they, they say that perhaps she might have said that she had those allergies as a way to explain away why she had to have a room by herself. Um, so again, we remember people on the spectrum have difficulty with like physical interaction and space. You know, sometimes they have issues with people touching them. So they're like, maybe that's a lie she made up. I mean, it mm. sounds a little bit about a, like, seems a little bit like a reach. So you guys think they're trying to punish uh, Tilly? I mean, I by putting her so. with Burnham? No, what they're doing is they're saying, ooh, what character is the most contrast to this character? Oh, the comedic relief, who's very awkward and unsure of herself, is who she needs to be up against, who needs to be, like, partnered with, yes. because that's what... That's what will be the funniest. Because you got uh, and the straight the, man in the yeah, comedy, and, and then so, you got the goofball. But then internet people who don't understand things, I don't know. Like, they're just like... <laughs> internet Yeah, and they're just like, they read into things that don't even make sense, and they, it just becomes like what the truth is, and that's fine, but it's like... When you like say stuff like I, like this is what they're going for, mm-hmm. or, like I think this might be what mm-hmm. they're going for, it's like what? Like, have you ever seen anything, or like, do you know anything about like how things are done? Like, the, <laughs> there's a very it's why Spock and McCoy were always put together because one's a gruff, emotional like person who's angry all the time, and the other one is a log- like a persnickety logic boy. And so, like, when you put those two together, it's oil and vinegar, and it, it leads to the most drama and fun. But so, what are the, uh, uh, the conflict, disabled baby. character or, or accessibility challenge characters in Star Trek? You have Pike, who was in a wheelchair box, and all he could do was go beep. Mm-hmm. And then there was Barkley, who, what exactly? He was just very anxious. He stuttered. Right? He, he stuttered, stuttered and uh, he was in love with Deanna Troy. I mean, obviously. And he had a hologram and he would go and, Yeah, his hologram. Which who is, wouldn't? Which is really messed up. Okay, in Star Trek, it's a perfect uh, The Next porn. Generation, yeah. he, in the holodeck, you get to, like, make a virtual reality. And he made it so, like, he fought. Um, like Captain Picard and all the bigger officers, and then would win over Counselor Troy, who was uh, Marina Sirtis, who's really hot, or was yeah, and um, 
and and then like, but there's a part where like he's in the holodeck and he's supposed to be, uh, he's supposed to be like working or some shit. So they just bust into the holodeck while he's fighting everyone, and that seems like an invasion of privacy. And also, there's a lot of cum on the holodeck. Let's just be <laughs> let's just be frank. He's having sex with a lot and. I would really like to know, like, what happens to all, like, the cum and the sweat and stuff out. like that. Really? They, that's a, well, we're going to talk about panspermia in a we second. From disabilities to sperm everywhere. So we have a... So is, is this person... Yeah. Do you feel... Because you actually in real life are a counselor. Do you yeah. feel as though... I know it's like you can't really diagnose somebody mm-hmm. without really... Seeing, well, she's not a real person. So, okay. Yeah. Do you feel, Ooh, burn. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm just saying she's a character. Do you feel like it's legit that she's on the spectrum? Well, okay. The other two clues were that she was particular about which bed is hers, which, like, anybody would be that way. Yeah. And that she admits to having poor social skills. Um, I mean, if some of you remember in the episode last week, I was wondering if they were going to have some characters that had differences in ability. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, you did. So this might be a way of them introducing that because there's probably other people having that same question as they well. They heard the podcast. They wrote her in Yes, just quick. for me. They're like, <laughs> the okay. They're like, black alert. Let's get it together. Uh, but I think that we, we can't say either way yet. So, But it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to, to see how she develops her. I, I will say that it is never used for anything aside from comedic mm. and, uh, relief and possibly it's used as uh, later on it's used as like a, a some such sort of skill so that mm-hmm. she's able to do something meet with someone else so she has like secret she, math power yeah and it's like everyone else would be normal in this environment right. let's have yeah. her mm-hmm. talk to them because she's on this very special ship for a reason yeah and she also like talks too much as she said she's mm-hmm. like sometimes I talk too much mm-hmm. so she gets nervous like it is a very modern uh, comedy mm. trope yeah. of having yeah. someone who's like, oh my god, I'm so uh, dorkable and artsy, or not and artsy, like I, going on. Yeah. oh my god, sometimes and I just on. talk too much, <laughs> and, and it's always a girl, and mm-hmm. but like, <laughs> except when it's Brian Sweeney, yeah. So <laughs> I, I don't think it's ever gonna be anything. Uh, so so we meet the ship's new mysterious captain, Captain Lucius Malfoy, mm. uh, Gab- Gabriel Lorca. <laughs> Uh, played by actor Jason Isaac, who may be involved with what's known in Star Trek as what is it? Section, Section 31. 31. What is Section 31, Brian? Uh, it's a thing that started up in DS9. It's a behind Deep Space this, Nine. Yeah, it's a behind the scenes uh, clandestine group, uh, part of the uh, Starfleet. It's like just black ops, yeah, and it black goes ops. and like it's the black alert and the black uh, the black name tag or the black insignias that they have on Discovery. And they've gone back and like sort of retcon things into saying like, well, this was Section Thirty One and stuff like that. But so it's when Starfleet wants to, when the Federation wants to be evil, basically for good. They turn into Section 31. Because yeah. they do the dirty work, and then it's the, it, they can also disavow it, because they're like, that's not part of the organization. They're the KGB of mm-hmm. the Federation. Well, KGB was out yeah, in the open. Not the, yeah, it's more CIA, of a CIA in black open, ops. So it would be something um, like a black ops, yeah. So like if you had to like take some... In Star Trek Into Darkness, Section 31 was the people were the people who... I mean, they were the bad guys, but like the people who like made the USS Vengeance and uh, got Khan and his people out... Those, that's what Section 31 is. It's just, it's, yeah, it's a clandestine and, organization. And Discovery isn't like reading Rainbow with uh, LeVar Burton. It's not like a it's happy, I thought that was happy part go of the lucky world. Discovery. <laughs> it's more like, we, War. It, it should be called the, the Starship Secrets. Well, right? Because there's the, a lot of secrets on this ship. To the point where the captain's like, oh, Sorry, I'm just standing here in the dark with a tribble. Uh, I had an accident, and so I can't see, so I have to keep everything real dark. Like and, slowly and it's slowly like, yeah. back. And, and like, it's like, luckily, it's uh, very good for the in the effects of in cinematography, so this will look uh, impressive. And so it also like gives you a reason why the entire ship is dark and shit. So when Michael Burnham uh, goes into his little chamber of horrors, um, we see a Tribble, which is the little furry creatures that replicate when they, very quickly when they find some food and don't like Klingons. The captain had a, tribu- see, uh, a Tribble just right there in his desk. office the Making entire noise. time. I have no idea why 
anyone would want to triple. Why would you want to I think he's using their DNA to uh, replicate whatever they are cooking up. Because, uh, as you say, they can replicate really quickly, and they're trying to create this, uh, well, you guys will find out about it later, this perhaps biological weapon, and so they might be extracting the DNA so that they can have something that can replicate really quickly. And they might that know that Klingons actually, don't like him, so maybe he's just going to transport them onto like Klingon ships or something. Because that was, in again, in Star Trek Into Darkness, they used the Tribble to uh, inject Khan's blood into, and... Then whatever. So there's other creatures in the so. room, and and we find this monster on another ship, which uh, people on forums are saying it's a tardigrade that's been blown up, supersized, and is going to fuck up your day. And this tardigrade is like the alien in the movie Sigourney mm-hmm. Weaver, you know movie Aliens that is unstoppable. It's almost like a xenomorph. It's just unstoppable. But somehow they managed to corral it and put it in a cage. Well, it looks like the thing that Han Solo was uh, in The Force Awakens that Han Solo and Chewie were smuggling uh, when they first... chases them around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a space That's penis slash like. vagina. <laughs> but we don't know what that thing is or what <laughs> no, it's doing, we, right? It's yeah. also like... That's what, like, the last section of the show was and it this episode was i felt like really good like we'll get to that i guess but until they went to the other ship and then it just was like hey we found this giant roly-poly thing the end Mm -hmm. and it's like wait till you see what we do next time with this ha 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 and like that was it yeah there wasn't really a story it really stopped being a story Mm. But when it was dealing just with Burnham and especially Burnham and Saru, like that was the main. Those were like the best parts, I thought. And then we have a rent the musical Anthony Raps, <laughs> who plays Paul Stamets, a fun guy, a mycologist who is not having it. <laughs> the queen of I do not give a fuck. And is obsessed. Oh, you want the tingling? Yeah, I was looking for the tingling. I misplaced that thing, but anyways, I'll do this one. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, I'm in space. In space. I'm a nutty boy in space. (laughs) He's obsessed with panspermia and and, and the idea that all space is connected. And this is why people on Star Trek, this is a common question people ask on Star Trek, especially why no matter where they travel, all the aliens have two arms, two legs, a head and uh, two set of eyes and a mouth. Because it costs a lot. To have non-humanoid people. Well, that's the filmmaker answer, but oh. the, the, the screenwriter's answer is because space has been seeded yes. by these whatever thingamajiggies, and that's why all life uh, arises in most places and looks like each right, other. Right, because you have pan, which is a cross, and then you have sperm, which is, you know, just... just <laughs> in uh, yeah, season it's six... It's like uh, went everywhere, right? The season six episode of Star Trek Next Generation, The Chase. Mm. That's where uh, that's set from. But, and it's also a real... The panspermia is an actual scientific theory. Right, and that means that life... Uh, on Earth, actually came from the building blocks. Came. Where like came from someplace else. <laughs> yeah, and well, there's a lot all of, over the surface yeah, of the Earth. There's a lot of uh, things of also that like human beings were uh, made and engineered by uh, aliens. But that's not part of panspermia. It could be. Well, the, so the scientists. Mm-hmm. Are, so there's a lot of science that Star Trek borrows from, especially science that took place in the 60s and 70s, right? And and one of that is uh, Miller Urey's experiments on how the building blocks of life arose in the early conditions of Earth. And so these guys basically just peed into a jar mm-hmm. <laughs> and put some water and farted in it. It was yep. a water, ammonia, Fart. methane, and hydrogen gas. And then they lit that shit up and about a day later, I think it's a day later, there was a brown slime on the walls of the glass chamber. Mm. That and was just Jimmy, though. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the experiment, uh, they basically came to the conclusion that life will arise in most, when it can in most places. That's the quote from that experiment. And the idea is that maybe the building blocks arose on Earth, or maybe they arose in outer space, because the early conditions on Earth were not rich in water, methane gas, ammonia, 
and hydrogen. That's the problem. And so now, uh, uh, so that's, that's the whole per- panspermia hypothesis that all the amino acids that we build with life actually arose in the far boondocks of space. And because everything in space is crashing upon each other, um, the building blocks of life have crashed on Earth. They have crashed on Mars. They have crashed on Pluto. They've crashed everywhere they can. And it's just, we're just lucky enough and to be able to be life forms on Earth that can contemplate the fact that we arose here. Now, most recently, um, there's been some studies that actually are saying that microscopic bubbles on Earth is where life arose here because when the bubble pops, the pressure and the heat is intense enough just for a second to allow the amino acids to develop. In just a little split second, something can happen. But, you know, in Star Trek world, panspermia is really exciting and fun and sexy and gay. And, and so, <laughs> and this uh, iteration, it's the idea is that the, the spores oh, yeah. are connecting everything through space. Yeah. And by able to write lines of code, which we later find out is actually Microsoft Windows. What? Yeah, so some uh, computer people <laughs> took a screenshot of the, the when they actually show the lines of code, and they're like, this is Windows! How, they were able to go in there and figure that out. They were, yeah. <laughs> they're, so they were like, actually, it's more specifically, it's a decompiled code for the infamous Stuxnet virus. Oh, that's what I thought. Hmm. Which would be strange <laughs> for any Starfleet vessel to be running, mm-hmm. uh, because it's a virus that was developed in 2010 by the U.S. government to disable Iran's nuclear program. So you know, there's there's a lot. Uh, you know, the screenwriters are uh, putting things in as a as a commentary on our on our world. What right? do you make of this idea? Because yeah. he says that uh, uh, that that uh, biology is physics. Do you want the quote? Yeah. This is the thing. At the quantum level, there's no difference between biology and physics. No difference at all. And you talk about spores. What are they? They're the progenitors of panspermia. They're the building blocks of energy across the universe. Physics and biology? No. Physics as biology. Well, the other thing he also said was when the moon is in the seventh house <laughs> and the earth aligns with Mars, <laughs> then peace will. And love will. Yes. And, and I think part of that is it, it is bit California, you know, peace, mm-hmm. love, harmony. The whole idea that we're all interconnected. Mm. That, you know. Yeah, I think it was uh, kind of uh, foreshadowing the idea that. Uh, you could use those those spores as a form of travel, and so of course physics has to do with like traveling and and objects, uh, and so it being biology, being biological matter, mm-hmm. being able to travel through that. So well, I, think it was- I was kind of confused too because like there's this other theory out there in space called the string theory that like everything is made out of like these strings, and so I'm just like, is this part of string theory? I guess for my you know, um, science magazine on an airplane <laughs> uh, understanding of it is that string theory is that um, matter behaves at a certain small level, you know, quantum mm-hmm. level. If you zoom in, like strings. Mm-hmm. And they're all, and everything's, everything in this universe is kind of lined up in these little lines. Mm-hmm. Right? But quantum physics uh, doesn't play by the rules of yeah. physics. Like, that's the problem. Like, that's... Whatever, like it's. What does that have to do with this show? It's not true. Like him being like biology and physics are exactly the same. It's like no, like there is, (laughs) there are biophysics, but no, they're not the same. And astrobiology. Yes, there is astrobiology, but in astrophysics, but that's a different. But like the rules of the universe and what we can see and what we can uh, observe are is physics. So therefore. Everything is physics, but so like biology would be like one of the uh, parts of Mm. physics, I suppose. But when they get down onto like a micro level or uh, and like a microscopic physics, subatomic level, things don't act the way that they act in normal physics. And scientists don't know why Mm. they don't know why they act the way they do and when which screenwriters is awesome. and when screenwriters are under pressure to come up with original writing they don't usually follow the logic the way they do they used to in Star Trek but like uh, because Star Trek is uh, 
science fiction. It's more science fantasy. Well, Star Wars is science fantasy. Star Trek was always de- put in. Brian, what's the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars? The internet is dying to know the the nuance about that. <laughs> one rules Star Trek and one drools Star Wars. <laughs> uh, moving on, uh, Rekha Sharma's Commander Landry uh, reprising her role as somebody also who doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> Uh, from as Tori, you might remember her from Tori Foster, the Cylon on Battlestar Galactica, who also said, "I'm not your bitch anymore. I'm a robot, and I'm here to ruin your day." That was a weird line. Um, <laughs> you also might remember her from the fifth season episode "Hammer of the Gods" on Supernatural when she played Callie the Destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> You might. You might. Yeah, I might. I don't know if I remember that. But, uh, <laughs> Why do you want to I might go bell? back and watch. Because uh, I'm supernatural reference? I don't know. So, uh, basically. She was mean. Yeah. We're starting to see. and, and, and she always plays mean. I'm glad She's we like, have a life coach and a social worker on the show because Michael Burnham is in deep need of some life coaching. Mm-hmm. And right now. Like everybody on that ship seems to really hate each other's guts. Nobody, nobody likes each other. Yeah, Michael Burnham came on, and uh, Callie the Destroyer walked in, and she's like, uh, with a bunch of other prisoners, and she's like, "Hi, I'm security officer. Welcome aboard, you pieces of shit." <laughs> and and they were like, "Oh, it's you. Fuck you." And then like she like just took her, and they're like, "Ha ha." And then like she's also walking with her. And she's like, I heard you were a Vulcan. You're not a Vulcan. You suck. And then she's like, no, you're, you're, I wasn't. Um, and she's like, ugh, Vulcans <laughs> fucking suck and fuck a Vulcan. And then she walked away, which I never understand. Like, in Star Trek, very often, people are extremely racist against Vulcans. It's weird because we're supposed to be in this, like, where we're f- f- a, b- a bit farther ahead. Mm-hmm. And it's strange that these head chief officers are just like, by the way, fuck our allies. Like, they suck. And they're saying it to, like, people that could just easily tell the boss or some shit. Whatever. I guess you don't get written up in, in Starfleet for that kind of stuff anymore. You should. They Remember in Balance of Terror in 10 years from now, where Captain Kirk's like, when you come aboard my bridge, he's like, you leave any bigotry in your recorders. Because <laughs> the guy was like, hey, those Romulans look like Vulcans, Mr. Spock. You suck. And, and Kevin the Kirk's greens, like, listen to me. Green-blooded goblin. Why you? Yeah. Meanwhile, fucking McCoy is just throwing out as many slurs every five seconds. And then, like, another crewman says it. And Kevin Kirk's like, hey, watch it. Hey, Vulcans can only call themselves goblins to each other. I like in Star Trek 3 when he <laughs> when, when he has... Oh, I got that joke. When he's Katra and he <laughs> yeah. says, uh, he's like, that green-blooded son of a bitch. This is his revenge for all those arguments he's lost. <laughs> it's mean. So, so Colette, mm-hmm. um, uh, life coach Colette, yes. uh, what, what can Burnham do? What kind of advice would you give to somebody who finds themselves in that unfortunate situation, lost in space, in a ship full of little wacky craters lost and monsters? Being manipulated. Being manipulated, and nobody likes... And it's Imagine if you got hired in a job, mm-hmm. and everybody's fighting at that job and you can't quit it because you at least want to give it a week. Yeah. No, it it definitely seems like she's found herself uh, in a hostile work environment, we'll call it. Uh, uh, Especially hostile considering she's a prisoner and not getting paid. Uh, So uh, (laughs) that's particularly hostile. Nobody gets paid in Star Trek. So uh, I mean, it's a post-scarcity world, mm-hmm. yeah. so, baby. So, what is the difference between being a prisoner and being, you know, I'm not quite sure what's going on. Well, there. she doesn't have the freedom to leave. Yeah, yeah. So she hasn't made this choice now. herself. I'm just saying it's a little like slavery. I'm so telling me somebody said it. I said. Uh, so, <laughs> so what should she do? Yeah, there's there's lots of things that if you find yourself in a hostile work environment, and I would pass this along to Michael. Uh, the number one thing would be to find allies. It seems like she has an ally in the captain, and to an ex- extent in Saru. Uh, Saru said that she was uh, the smartest person he'd ever met. The so, best officer. The best officer. And Starfleet until mm-hmm. she wasn't. Exactly. Yeah, he did. Th- 
throw some shade at the end. He threw some shade. Uh, he did say that he still feared her as well. But find an ally so you have someone who can, you know, let other people know your positive sides. Uh, another thing would be to protect yourself, or as my mom would call it, um, keep a paper trail on white people. Um, so <laughs> what you do in that instance is you do those nice little CCs on every email after you have a conversation with someone in person using the email. I'm like, I just wanted to, you know, give a recap of the conversation we just said. So you keep a paper trail so no, nobody can lie on you later. I don't ever do that. I, I should think do paper trails. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sure going to come bite me in the ass. Paperless by this point. Well, you send Electronic an email. Trail. Oh, I think this is actually. Trail. I'm actually learning something about like real <laughs> life office dynamics. It's mm-hmm. like send an email, be like, "Hey, I just you know," and make it friendly so mm-hmm. it doesn't seem threatening. So I didn't want to forget this. So I just you know Midwestern nice. points. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But there, but a few a few points. She started a war. So like you always bring that up. They always bring up when it's a black person. They always have to bring up their record. You notice that, right? They always got to drudge up their records when you black. Uh huh. Let's talk about how she started. started So how exactly? Why you got to bring that? What about she doing now? Okay. I watched the episode. I'm still kind of confused on how she's responsible for the war. Now she did do mutiny, but she didn't fire on anybody. She did kill that that one Klingon. Yeah, I think it's because of. She killed the one Cleon, so you know she was afraid for her life because this person's coming at her, right? But mm-hmm. she's the one. She was. She came in there first. It was her fault. But we didn't know. She didn't know anything about it, and all of a sudden, the Cleon came, and she was scared because Cleon's killed her parents, right? But she also had the plan of like they were going to kidnap. Cleon. I don't know. She started a war. She started a war, and also yeah. So like, there's reasons why they. But she's also a prisoner, so it is slave labor. Like mm-hmm. in the, it's prison labor, and. You said like she has an ally with, or an ally with Captain Malfoy, but like does <laughs> whatever. Yeah, but he's Lucius Malfoy. Well, maybe um, he'll give her a sock and she'll get free. Ooh, um, but I like, uh, oh my god! <laughs> but he, but he, uh, he, he even said to her like he forced her into this. Oh, yeah. So he's not an ally. He's yeah. like, well, you're a prisoner, so you're gonna do what the fuck I want. Well, it was manipulated to get there, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is the was, casting of of, of uh, Jason Isaac as Captain Lorca meant to be that he's somehow some sort of shadowy, sinister? I think so because I just right? remembered him as um, old boy from OA, you know, on Netflix, and I was like, I don't trust him. He's duplicitous. Like he'll smile in your face and then lock you up in a basement and use you to do things. So. I trust him. Yeah, it's probably how he got the job because they saw him in that. He was uh-huh. also Captain Hook, so he's played a lot of evil guys over the over the years. He was in Voldemort's army. You yeah. don't get much more. Well, fuck the OA, Voldemort's <laughs> army. Like it's not as like his son had to turn. But eventually they kind of shied away. He shied away from Voldemort towards the end. Lucius, yeah. no, his son did. Mm-hmm. Lucius, but even the dad was kind of worried. He was worried. He always came in and he was like. Er, my son. Wait, that's a snake. <laughs> but he was like, hello, we're going back. Uh, get away. Fuck you, Dumbledore. I heard you're gay. Bye. And then leave. The end. So one common thing that Star Trek has always been criticized, or just all television shows have, is that the main characters, you know, blow shit up, break all the rules, everything goes to hell. But somehow... At the end of the episode, everything resolves itself and everything's fine. The reset button. The it reset was very button, yeah. uh, infamous for Voyager. And 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 so in this case, everything is not fine. You know, Michael uh, is is going to be for uh, the unforeseeable future going to be dealing with the consequences of breaking all the rules at great cost to herself, to the universe, even though it was the right thing to do. And for me, I'm like, I really find that aspect of Star Trek really exciting and really interesting that they're, you know, starting uh, from scratch when they're building this this world, this new series, is that they're really tackling, you know, the prime directive and these these big ideas that Star Trek is famous for, but they're turning them on their heads, so to speak. You know, the prime directive is they're kind of fucking up, right? Mm. They're 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 immediately General Order One. General Order One. They they've they sort of violated that by making that well happen. You know, and then the two women are walking through the desert, and there there's all these egg sacs which represent femininity. You know, they're giving life sustaining fluid to these struggling life forms, and now we're sort of start seeing the idea that you know maybe you should follow the rules, maybe. 
it's not such a bad idea to go by the order, and, and sometimes things will go right. Well, I mean, but this, yeah, this has all been dealt with, and Picard, like, flat out states, like, what about if there's a war? And he's, and it, and like, he and makes Tom's the... Tom's the prime director. Yes, and he's like, so if there's, he's like, so if there's a cataclysmic disaster, we should save them. And they're like, yeah, and he's like, and what if there's a war? Do we choose one side? And, like, it it becomes impossible, and it shows, like, why you don't entangle yourself into these things. And there's a Star Trek Enterprise episode called Dear Doctor where one, there's a uh, there's a disease that, like, a, a race of aliens is having, and it turns out that it's actually, like, the next evolutionary stage, which is stupid. But it's still interesting because they have to let one of the races of on the planet of the same alien race die off and not save them when they could because the evolution of the species is going into its next phase or whatever. And so, like, those types of things are extremely... <coughs> I really, like, like those. Mm-hmm. I think that those are... Question. Yeah, and they're great questions about it, whereas this episode had a lot of hope and possibilities... I don't think that there was anything about this episode. There was nothing to it. It. I don't even know if there was a story. It seemed like it was an incomplete thing. It seemed it like it like was it needed a part two. I felt like it was just all expository information. It was an ex, it was setting up all these things that uh, hopefully are going to be payoffs later. But you know, introducing these characters, introducing the fact that the captain is up to something perhaps nefarious, uh, introducing this theory around the the spores, and introducing this uh, beast. So I, it felt like it wasn't necessarily going anywhere, but more just like expository information. They, they did a lot to like set up or whatever like things that are coming up however there wasn't a core like story Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. like she went on the ship she was they were like hey it's gonna be tough for you here because you started a war and we're all mad and then she was they were like well now you have to go over there because and then they find this giant monster thing on the glen. On and the then, ship. then they just come back. And then the end of it is like mm-hmm. uh, the captain's like, oh, cool. I have this. And then it ends. And it's mm-hmm. like, what the fuck was this? Sto-? Because like you need something to it, care about them in the same like many shows now obviously have long form stories and arcs. But the individual episodes have to sh- have to be about something like there has to be an actual mm-hmm. like beginning, middle, and end to the story, and this did not have it. And I thought it started out so great. I liked... It started out... The episode how, or the, the episode, or the Not the series. Okay. The series, I don't know why they mm-hmm. didn't start with this, mm-hmm. especially when they didn't have enough story mm-hmm. for an entire episode mm-hmm. in this. Right. They could have done flashbacks that would have been so much better and then germinated... Throughout panspermia, yes, pans, panspermia. They could have just come all over the series mm. and just bukaki, bukaki it and cream pie shit, and then like while they were gargling the cum, they mm. would flash back and show like the stuff from that overbloated pilot that we mm-hmm. just saw of like this is what came like Some this, this here. is Some how there. if if I, we started the series with her. On or even just started with her like on the ship and stuff, and then mm-hmm. be like six months later and she's in prison, and then start and then have the people be like, "This is like your fault," and like, yeah. "Yeah, you should be here." And then we'd be like, "Oh my god, what did she do?" And then it's like you started the war, and then we're like, "Holy shit, how did she start a war?" And then mm-hmm. they show us, and then like the third or fourth or fifth episode, we see that she became that what she did, like what the mutiny was, and why she did it. I think that that would have worked so much better because that pilot is worthless like it is there's nothing about it now especially with like this episode Mm -hmm. this episode is the beginning of the story Mm -hmm. of discovery like 
What that was was you like... Sh- you should have think this episode should have been the lead episode. I think it should have, but I think that they should have taken the pilot stuff and then interspersed it throughout the season. Yeah, I think I that, that would have worked a lot better. Mm-hmm. But I, don't, and, I think and also with this be, episode, though, yeah. too, they just had a couple of things that they kind of wanted to, like, they put little eggs in there or something to kind of pique your interest. Uh, uh, you know, you see, like, a, a Gorn skeleton there, and so you're kind of like, ooh, how is that going to come into play? Now, and then you the also Gorn see uh, Gorn is a, a, a lizard that uh, Captain um, Kirk fought in one episode. The classic he, episode, yeah. Arena. And he shot made, at Vasquez Rocks. And he made a, a cannon, right? Gunpowder. He made gunpowder and shot like a little cannon at him. Because there was uh, a benevolent, there was like an alien being that could do anything, and he brought a representative from. The Enterprise and a representative from the Gorn spaceship and made them fight and say, like, all right, whichever one of you kills each other, you guys win. And then Kirk was like, I, he's like, I refuse to kill him. You hear me? <laughs> I refuse to kill him. And, and then, like, the guy comes down and he's like, oh, you humans are cool. And he's like, it was like an old gay kill. guy dressed like as a Roman yes, or something, right? It was a right? very skinny gay man. <laughs> he was gay. He was, came and, off as and gay, he right? had, it looked like he just had, like, a, a spa a towel, like the kind of, like, the balls are hanging out <laughs> of the Fresh out end. of Steamworks. Yeah. And he was like, oh, hello, cat. And he's like, I didn't kill him, you see? He's like, mm, mm. And he just started jerking it. <laughs> but they also and had, like, a, a pan sperm, yeah. They also had a Gorn in Enterprise, too, but the Gorn was uh, not a guy in a lizard costume yeah, it was, it was an actual CGI lizard. And so you see a skeleton there. And then, uh, you know, and I think we're supposed to be excited about that monster because they show it at the end. And then uh, one thing that was, I think it was kind of interesting is like last week we talked about Saru, Lieutenant Commander Saru, and him saying that his species was, uh, you know, they were designed to be prey mm-hmm. and they can sense uh, the oncoming of death or danger. Mm-hmm. And then he's sitting there in the, in the cafeteria yeah, in the mess hall mm-hmm. and he's eating and then he sees like the, 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 the they announce that the prisoner ship is leaving and then all of a sudden like you see these spikes that we haven't seen before in the back of his head kind of go up and he kind of like pats it down like it's his weave <laughs> and he's like I hope nobody yeah. saw that I see, I thought, <laughs> so like yeah. there's something I've like there, there's girl. something going on like we're supposed like that's the thing that we're I think we're supposed to get excited about like as a cliffhanger is like what is going on I like, found that very interesting because you also didn't exactly know what the reading was with mm-hmm. that because you can tell like with what he said like he's still respects Burnham and like wishes that he could still like her mm-hmm. or as a person mm-hmm. but it's impossible now like we've gone we've gotten to this point where it's like I, I don't can't, trust I, you yeah I can't I'm afraid like, of you death just, you scare me you're reckless yeah you killed our cat like it's your fault and mm-hmm. all this stuff and so like I, I I wonder. It seemed like it was uh, he was conflicted. Like he was like, oh, she's gone. Like, and there was a sadness, but also like a happiness. And then I wonder what that was that he with the, that the came spikes out. coming up. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was the monster or if he's just like, oh my god, burn or him that still, she's still up. It bored. makes it yeah. makes sense if it's him being scared in danger because that's what mm. animals do. They become. They grow spikes, or they, you know, like cats become bigger. Human beings put their shoulders up, mm-hmm. get in a stance. So our balls go into ourselves. Go well, that's into a our... good point that it might be, you know, he might think that it's Burnham, but it could be the the monster because they both came around in the mm-hmm. same time period. And so, well, if he senses that Burnham didn't leave, mm-hmm. that could be mm-hmm. it because Burnham represents death to him. Mm-hmm. But we know danger. that we know that Sorrow and Burnham are probably going to become besties. Oh, right? well, yeah, yeah, but that's what's interesting. Like, it doesn't matter that we know that. Mm -hmm. The interesting part is seeing how that plays out. And then because their their moment together in the hallway, Mm -hmm. I think, might have been the probably the best (coughs) thing that's been on the show yet in these past Mm -hmm. three episodes. Like, that was a I love the speech and I thought they both played it wonderfully. And I thought that, like, he he wasn't like standoffish like he didn't take any joy in this fact like this is a sad Uh, place where we are now Mm -hmm. and I don't like this but I have to like tell you like I can't I'm sorry and she was like uh like she it I she seemed very sad and very Mm -hmm. upset with Mm -hmm. where what it was and it's like that is to me that's a wonderful Mm -hmm. thing for drama of like both of these characters, it's like what you can't say anything. Like this is just it. Like you have to have some form of uh, an adventure or a story or something that they're going to go through to put them into a different place. Like because mm-hmm. right now they're at 
just a place where they they can't move forward. So, and that's the, and that's where the drama comes in. We'll see the repair of the relationship. What do you make of the uh, references to Alice in Wonderland? So she's running through the the Glen. She's trying to get away from the monster, and she's repeat she's repeating lines from the book Alice in Wonderland. And then she shows up with a book in her room, and her roommate's like, "Oh my God, is that a book?" <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, it's Alice in Wonderland." And, you know, which is my, weird because my stepmother, yeah. uh, you know, or my foster mom, Amanda. Yeah. That's the most me. Star Trek moment we've seen in Discovery so far. It's when you have a character reciting a piece of classic literature. But it, it's sort almost, of Picard and Shakespeare. It's almost always Shakespeare. It's the same thing with, like, Kirk. everyone in Star Trek knows Shakespeare just off the top of their head, not even just Picard. And there's an old saying, a joke, of when Star Trek doesn't know what else to talk about, it talks about Shakespeare. Mm. And that is 100% true. And, like, her being like, wow, a book— is weird because Star Trek is like the only form of entertainment anymore where they show people just sitting and reading old, like, hardcover books. Mm-hmm. They're constantly reading books. Right. And I think the, the Shakespeare influence definitely is because all the actors and and have most of them got their training in Shakespeare on doing shows like, you know, Shakespeare it, in the Park. It's a good idea to hire somebody who has to deliver lines that don't make any sense. Mm-hmm. That's basically reducing Shakespeare. Shakespeare, for a lot of modern audiences, is gobbledygook. And that scientific terminology, uh, which Star Trek is famous for, instead of being like, uh, there's coffee in that nebula, they just go, ooh, the Bunsen burners are defreculating. And blah, 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 you know? Yeah, and especially Klingons have to, like, the because, because like, um, Shakespeare is such a tough uh, language to crack for modern audiences. Mm -hmm. You have to watch it and pick up more so on how the inflection of the voices and how the uh, physicality is. So when they have Klingons, that's why they often will hire like uh, Shakespearean. Not for this new Christopher Plummer, who played uh, Klingon in the Undiscovered Country. I guess he and Captain Kirk and James, you know, in real life, they actually did a lot of Shakespeare together back in the day. Yes. I'm curious if they uh, chose Alice in Wonderland as the book because one, it was written by a mathematician, um, Dotson, and then in addition to that, it deals, it plays with logic um, and it has anthropomorphic creatures, and so is it a way of her being growing up in a Vulcan space to explore that logical side, which is very Vulcan, but also the human side, so to develop empathy. It's well, about Michael, the magic mushrooms. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's a lot of things happening, yeah. right? So, right. Michael Burnham is Alice. Uh-huh. She is in, she's gone to the other side. Yeah. Through the looking glass. Through the yeah. looking glass. Uh-huh. She's surrounded by these mystical creatures, yeah. and the mushrooms make things big Big and small, and that's why people are saying that that beast uh-huh. they found is a tardigrade, a little water bear uh-huh. that has been grown up to huge proportions uh-huh. through the magic of mushrooms uh-huh. that connect time and space, baby. Ooh. And she's in a she's obviously like in a world that she she's in a world that's upside down now uh-huh. because of the war and where she is. She's a prisoner for life. Uh, and hated upon upon a uh, a starship, a Federation Starfleet starship that she always wanted to be part of, and she even says that. Like, uh-huh. but that's not like I can't be anymore. Like, that's not who I am. Like, no matter what, I'm not going to have that rank anymore. So, like, she is. And that's the just the Alice in one of the stranger in a strange land. Thing. And it seems like it would be a good uh, pick for Amanda to choose for like this human child that's now being raised on Vulcan. It's like you came from this kind of world mm-hmm. and now you're on this kind of world and things are going to seem very strange to you. And my husband's a Jabberwocky, so... And, of course, the shore leave reference. The oh, walrus reference. and the so, carpenter yeah. were walking close at hand. They wept at times. You know. <laughs> I'm hoping that yeah. like, we get a lot of Disney mm-hmm. Alice in Wonderland and not like CBS <laughs> um, TV special with um, Sherman Hemsley oh, God. and uh, Carol Channing Alice in Wonderland. Brian, you, you, you quickly mentioned the, uh, the shore leave episode from uh, the original series. Do you think that's got any play in it? Because, you know, for people that might not be familiar with it, they, uh, they all go down to, uh, in the original series, they go down to this planet and then they, the Captain McCoy, or McCoy sees like Alice in Wonderland and the White Rabbit and then people are having these weird fantasies and hallucinations and they're like, what's going on here? And they eventually uh, they discover that the, some of the planet 
is taken care of by somebody called the caretaker. And he's just like, oh, no, this is all just for fun and games. I didn't I didn't realize anybody was getting hurt. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think it'll have anything to do with the shore leave planet. I think it's just a quick little reference mm. to the shore leave planet. But maybe... Call it last week. We spent a lot of time talking about her hair. Yeah, we were like, yes. okay, here she is. She's got this fantastic hair. She's got a great weave. And then there's like, she, and then we saw previews from next week, and we're mm-hmm. like, she's going to prison, well, and then all of a sudden she's down and out, and her mm-hmm. hair is natural. Mm-hmm. But is that you think that's her natural <laughs> hair right now, or is that I a think weave it's too? still it's still a wig? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's still a wig. Because yeah, it's, yeah. it's like one part is like frizzy and uh, curly, mm-hmm. and then when they then they show the different part and like the entire thing was curly like individual hair did it look as down and out as you th- as it did in the previews i feel like it looked okay right yeah, it looked no. okay i mean uh it was obvious that it was a wig uh but it looks okay but it is interesting that that's the choice that they decided to do once she left uh uh being uh first you know in in command so I, I like it. I think she looks great. I think that it's great to have a role model, you know. They but it's a little more casual. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a but little it's more also casual. Nice to see characters you don't see a lot of characters now with natural hair. So she I'm did, excited. She yeah. didn't have uh, makeup on either in the very beginning. I mean, mm-hmm. she didn't have makeup. Well, the high definition shows yeah. a lot of the weird makeup choices. Like they're putting this kind of yellow foundation around her eyes. Yeah, I just think it's concealer and banana powder that wasn't properly baked. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, it like the makeup artist isn't doing mm-hmm. a very good job of putting makeup on the main actors, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. like, and certainly like you know uh, Tilly. I mean, the, she's got acne in the twenty third century. Like, you can't transport that pus out. Acne <laughs> in the twenty third century. But one, th- one thing I do like about uh, this new world is, unlike the other Star Trek worlds is that the beds look like beds and you can actually sleep on them. If you look at the beds in like especially Star Trek Voyager, they have like this silver lame sheets that just huh. look super uncomfortable and there's these <laughs> neon lights that are, you know, I mean blinding you when you're trying mm. to sleep. Um, this actually looks like they could actually turn looks off the lights. Looks cozy, too. Yeah, you can actually, I mean, it's a little bit prison-like, but mm-hmm. at least it actually is a bed you could sleep on. Yeah, the... Uh, the Star Trek finally. like the next generation was always weird. Like it always looked like uh, a hotel office. lobby. It looked like a hotel lobby, but it also looked like a like business uh, place Sweet. with like where it would have just like one of those big chairs that aren't comfy, but there's a lot of cushionry to it. <laughs> this actually, yeah, a like, fax machine in the corner. It looked nice. Like I like their uh, real estate seminar. Yes. Just well, what, a yeah, TV what, you, dinner. what do you make of the ship? Uh, because this is the first time we've really seen the discovery. The ship, uh I I mean, okay. This is not this is just uh this is not objective. This is just like they hit nostalgia points for me, but like when they beam into engineering for a moment. It's the engineering from the original series, just up, just 2017, and that was great. Like it was, it looked really, really good. They were able to get the exact like specifications and aesthetics, but they used it with modern materials, so it looked really cool. So I like the ship and the dark lighting. I mean, they explained it, but like it never made sense. Oh, you think it's the dark just, lighting is just because of his eyesight? No, I mean. No. That's why they wrote it's it. It's also in, meant to make it moody and yeah, pensive, it looks cinematic. Right? In yeah. the movies, the lighting is always really dark mm. and stuff, and it doesn't make sense why that would happen. Like also in like the original movies, when they would go to Red Alert, the bridge would just turn red. Like all the lights would turn red, and which seems stupid. Like why would you want that? You want more light. But anyway, it looked good. It looked well, cool. now we have uh, Red Alert. Amber Alert, which is like when the kids are missing. No, no, I mean on Star Trek, there's oh. a there's a yellow, yellow alert, alert, right? Yeah. There's a blue alert, which is uh, the saucer separating. Oh, really? Uh, and um, and now you have black a black alert, alert which is their. Uh, I guess the the idea is that the experimental spore drive is underway. And what about this experimental spore drive? Is it just something that can move you through time or through space, or can it also move you through time? Because at one point in time, you know, Captain Lorca looks at Burnham and says, like, I know you. And you're kind of wondering to yourself, like, well, how do you know her? 
You know? Because did he... You meet him, did you meet her in the future? Because he visited you when you were a little girl. Is that right? Girl. I don't think that they're going to do time travel no? just because it was used way too much, but maybe. Uh, I know that they I think... They can do the, anything they want to. They can. I said, I don't think they're going no. to do that. Um, the fifth episode, I think it's the fifth episode, spoiler alert, um, is going to take place in a mirror universe. Yeah. And oh. it's directed by Jonathan Frakes. Oh, wow. So, he so it'll it? have like Neelix and wacky characters and. No, it's just that it'll be ne- them, but what? the. E- Wait, because they're kind of evil now, right? Neelix. So these will be the good guys? Or what's going to. I have no idea. They'll have goatees. Yeah. Yes. And I wonder, uh, would uh, Captain Georgiou come back, I wonder? Uh, will she be dead in the Mirror Universe? Let's hope. Uh, is, is, is Saru the Jar Jar Binks, the Neelix no, of the series? No, people all. are saying that. No, this is an intelligent creature. This is an intelligent person. He's smart. I don't know why he's not the same <laughs> space alien as as everyone listening and all of you know in Star Trek the Animated Series. Obviously, Lieutenant Eriks should have been Lieutenant Saru. I know that mm-hmm. all of you were, th- especially Colette, was thinking the exact same Definitely, thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know why they didn't just put Lieutenant Eriks, because Saru, we never see his species again. But we see the K-Tan, and they're from the Star Trek the Animated Series. We see them oftentimes. And in fact, we see them in Star Who's Trek the for the Voyage Harm. Miras, the uh, cat lady... Who is on board the Star Trek or Starship Enterprise on the animated series? So yeah, I don't know why it's not the Eric. She's I think the one who talked like the pussy. Yeah, like, yeah it was <laughs> like Michelle Nichols, I think, and she's like. Brr. And is she on, like, is she on Discovery? No, but I'm saying you the, wanted the cat lady and the weird guy who looked like a testicle head. Yeah, who had three <laughs> legs, and you were like, ah, Captain, I'm because we've voiced only, by Scotty. Yes, and we've only seen him on the bridge. <laughs> and if you look at Eric's A R E X and Saru together, they look quite a bit alike. Mm. And so it doesn't make sense why they didn't just do that. But whatever, because they have the character, and this Saru dude, this alien race is brand new, which is weird when we're ten years before. The animated series, or the original series. Well, but his species was prey. Maybe they all got gobbled up. By Eric's, maybe. Maybe, maybe. it'll all fit together. Maybe the Herogen raised them. He escaped oh, from the Delta Quadrant. You never know. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. And so, it's strange when they add, when they make up new aliens, when you have so many existing aliens, mm. especially when you're doing prequels. That's strange. The end. So next week, uh, Star Trek's episode is titled The Butcher's Knife Cares Not for the Lamb's Cry. It's all this, you know, it's always these catchphrases that are like, the sword has two edges. This is not my first time in the rodeo. It's like, uh, uh, you know, Joan Crawford's writing the titles. Or well, it's very Shakespearean. Is I it, think yeah. that's Shakespearean and like context is for kings. But uh, it's that that also sounds like a Hannibal type of quote, so mm. it seems very Brian Fuller esque. But who knows? So what? The, uh, leaving last notes. What do you guys uh, feels like uh, is exciting for you, or you know, you're kind of looking forward to seeing Star Trek Discovery explore? Hmm. Uh, I would like it if they actually dealt more with human nature and things like that and showed us why it matters that she was raised on Vulcan because right now it doesn't matter at all like why did you and I know that like they're going to get to it I assume but mm-hmm. I guess it's a huge thing to be like she was raised by Sarek but it's like I don't see why it matters at this point they haven't given us a reason they showed her come aboard when and meet Michelle Yeoh in a flashback in the pilot but she was just like, oh, you're a Vulcan. And she's like, yeah, I'm a Vulcan, and I don't have emotion. And she's like, oh, well, you and I were probably going to be cool, and I'm going to be like your surrogate mom. And she's like, oh, well, fascinating. Yeah, maybe we'll see that again. Because, you know, if you remember, um, uh, Captain George, you just say the reason why Sarah gave you to me to be on this to serve on this ship is because I was somebody who went through something terrible and I chose hope and we don't really know what she went through so maybe we will see this or maybe we'll see it in the mirror universe 
I'm looking forward to seeing uh, her brother make a cameo. Uh, you won't see Spock until the you won't see Spock until the end of the season. The season bet. finale. You'll see him at the season finale, and he'll be like hot and shirtless and going mm. through Ponfar for the first time. And <laughs> I agree with Brian. I'm I'm looking for them to f- uh, more fully develop. Uh, Michael Burnham's character right now she's coming off a little bit like the magical Negro trope uh, which for those of you who don't know is uh, a black character that in some way is outwardly or inwardly disabled either by discrimination disability or social constraints so often a janitor or a prisoner um, wow. yes and then the, this character usually has some type of magical power or ability that they really need for example she's the one who is the the expert in um, advanced quantum physics and they uh, sacrifice themselves in some way to save the white protagonist so she is the protagonist it seems like so far so that's kind of uh, uh, against that trope but right now it has elements of that and so I want her character to be more fully developed Mr. Whiskers, do you want some cheese? And I'm excited, too. I do want to see more of those interpersonal relationships because those are the kinds of things that really make the show fantastic. (laughs) And there's so much um, conflict between her and all these people. It's really nice to see when they finally come together. But also, too, I'm really excited about all the weird, like, the animals and things like that because it's almost as like you've got, like, this little whole little menagerie there. And so I want to see what's going to become of all that. I would like, like, because they talk so much about and I know it's only the third episode but mm-hmm. we only have 15 so 3 out of 15 that's not, whatever they talk so much about how important Star Trek is like especially now and like things are so like bad in the world that we need something that we can point to for hope so far they've just shown us a bunch of war and they haven't had anything in this episode where like Starfleet is doing dark shit, and they're going to get a biological weapon to destroy the Klingons. Mm. That's fucked up. Like, and no one bats a goddamn eye. Like, no one stands up and is like, hey, the fuck are we? What? Like, we're a science vessel. And then they show the a clip from next week, and Captain Malfoy's like, we're, this isn't a science ship anymore. This is a warship. And it's just like, what the fuck are we doing anymore? Like, what, what is Star Trek about this? I have, noth- I have seen nothing that feels like Star Trek. It kind of felt like Star Trek sort of in the beginning, mm-hmm. but, like, she doesn't, like, no, nothing. Like, it, she beats the shit out of a bunch of people in the mess hall and, like, stuff like that. And it's Why didn't she just use her Vulcan pinch grip? Because yeah. they wanted to show that she was a badass. Like, when they first show her six months later, like, it's cool. Like, it's cool, but it's not like Star Trek, but, like, it's cool that she's, like, just sitting there and, like, she doesn't give a shit. And then, like, when they think that they're going to all die in the ship, she just sits there, like, resigned to her fate. Like, I don't care if I die. I'm fine with this. Well, when she lands inside the ship, she nails the superhero landing, which yeah. always involves with your fist on the ground. <laughs> oh, from the one ship to the other. Yeah. Uh, next week, uh, hydroponics and space. Hell yeah, Is that what's dude. happening? <laughs> Fox, do we have any t-shirts for sale yet? What on our I, store? What are you talking about? I don't know. Oh, Brian, what was the loading it on me? I don't know. I'm like, I've been working on cooking with drag queens. Honey. Oh yeah, that's right. Cookingwithdragqueens.com, folks. It's not going to happen unless you jump in the pool. It, come in. The water is fabulous. Go to cookingwithdragqueens.com right now. If you're thinking, if you love what we do, you'd like to see what we're doing. You would like to support us. We rely on your support. Go to cookingwithdragqueens.com. Why is it important to support Cooking with Drag Queens, Mark? Because it's a show you love. And if you love the show, you'll support it. Because if you don't like it, it won't get made. And, you know, it's it's okay not to support it. Um, it you know, we know you guys have other very pressing issues. But Cooking with Drag Queens is something that is part of the Feast of Fun ecosystem. It's the It's the... Tardigrade monster that's <laughs> begging to be let loose and fuck shit up on the spaceship Discovery, and that's one thing I really like about Discovery. It's in the future uh, episodes. We one of the problems with doing it serialized like this with Battlestar Galactica is they never really get a sense of completion. That it's always just kind of being led on and mm. on and on and on and never really going anywhere. And so with these sort of monster episodes or these little critters that, that we're, you know, a science experiment goes wrong, we can kind of take a little break from this ongoing war, 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 war uh, 
storyline that just seems like it never ends. Oh, and Burnham said shit on the show. Oh, oh yeah, she did? Yeah. She said she shit cursed. that worked. And Naughty. I was like, ooh, Star Trek after <laughs> dark. Well, Captain Kirk, I guess, was the first one to actually say hell is a swear word on Star Trek. In uh, the city on the edge of forever, I said, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, that was the first time on TV, and I let it go. Uh, Colette Gregory, it's a pleasure doing the show with you. Thank you. I really enjoyed my time with you boys talking about sperm. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Can, you come true. Can you do the Vulcan uh, salute? No, that's two in the pink and one in the stink. Oh, darn it. You can show me later. Oh. That's two in the pink one. The oh, okay. What is it? What do they yeah, call that? The, the shocker. The shocker. So, yeah, this is it, yeah. right? Yeah. I can do it. It's a, it's a Hebrew sign, right? Now, George yeah, Takei, there's a photo of us with George Takei, and George Takei is uh, having his middle finger and his ring finger together. Yeah, he's doing this, because he doesn't want to take Spock's thing. Oh, so he's doing so he's the doing other. Those, those are the K signs. Yeah. Some people uh, on Star Trek have a real problem doing that, so they will fix their fingers uh, below camera and then just hold it, and you can sometimes catch people who just like go, who just like move up and have the entire thing up. Oh, they, they have a hard time just separating the yeah. films? Yeah, uh, DeForest Kelly was actually one of them. So whenever he had to do it, but he even says in Journey to Babel, he's like, that hurts worse than the suit, because they're wearing ambassador suits. Uh, oh. The suits, it, uh, it kind of, Marty said it looks like the, the captain from Futurama. From Futurama, it's that same outfit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It probably, because remember they had black uh, insignias, the black shields mm-hmm. on them. Um, it probably is Section 31. I don't know. I'm sure yeah. it is. I don't, uh, it's so, like, all, I don't know, darkness and hatred and war. Yay. Next week, they're going to get wacky in the hydroponic garden. It's Hell gonna be, yeah, dude. It's going to be one of those trippy episodes where they're like, you know what? This hydro in space is good. Everything's connected. The panspermia. Funny. And and we're gonna just gonna float through space. It's gonna be like naked time, except they're just gonna get yeah. fucking blazed. And he's gay, so he's gonna have sex with a gay alien. Oh shit! Uh, they called galians. Whoa, that's true. <laughs> that's what they like to be called now. So. Rent boy. Yeah, and it's gonna be a musical episode. You know, they did that with Xena. The Warrior Princess. They did a whole musical episode. They did that with Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Buffy was first, I think. Mm -hmm. Buffy was, and they did it with Supernatural, kind of. And so I, I I I predict did one too. In in the future, they're going to have a show. One yet. Yeah, I just said in the two hundred. That was a remember they put on a show. They put on the uh, school play of Supernatural. And I predict that Star Trek is going to do a musical episode Mm. because everybody can sing in the series. So are we right. sure? Who the hell? What? Lorca can sing. Has he sung on something before? They're all Broadway trained actors. I don't know. Well, we know the yeah, guy from Rent. Dead. It's the just Rat because Red one guy. guy from Rent is in it. You're like, everyone can sing. They should I'm do gonna it. Di- I'm going to dig up a little bit about Michael Burnham and see. Uh, what is it? Sonequa. Sonequa. Yeah. Martin Green. Martin Green. I'm sure she's done uh, some. SMG. Yeah, she's done some musical theater. The Walking Dead musical. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it was. That's going to happen, honey. <laughs> you watch. You Shoot all left. No. You heard it here first, okay? You Guys, thanks first. so much for listening and boldly going where no podcast has gone before. What the track? The original. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.